Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we speak with Paul Robinson, author of the new book, Russian Liberalism, now available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook from Northern Illinois University Press. Paul Robinson is a professor in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. He is the author of Russian Conservatism and Grand Duke Nikolai Nikolaevich. We spoke to Paul about what defines liberalism in the Russian context, why liberalism has historically failed to take root in Russia, and the impact the war in Ukraine may have on Russia's potential political trajectory. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, hello, Jonathan. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure, and I'm very interested in talking to you about your new book, Russian Liberalism, which is a follow-up to your earlier book from 2019, Russian Conservatism. And that earlier book, Russian Conservatism, was widely praised by many, including the Times Literary Supplement out of the UK, and they gave a, they gave a glowing review, and they had this great line, defining Russian conservatism is a bit like putting a jellyfish into a box. And then they went on to say that you were able to fully accomplish this difficult task, describing and, and defining Russian conservatism. But reading your new book, it sounds like you have a very similar challenge. This is one of the lines from your book, Russian Liberalism. The term liberalism encompasses a huge variety of different viewpoints, many of which appear to be entirely contradictory. This puts the student of liberalism in a difficult position. On the one hand, its existence and importance cannot be denied. On the other hand, it is not at all clear what it is. So this is a huge task. You've written a whole book. You've written two books on uh, both polarities. Could you tell us in broad brushstrokes what conservatism is and liberalism is in the Russian context? Yeah, I mean, having written two books of those titles, I, I've sort of increasingly come to the conclusion that Perhaps the terminology we use to describe political theory is, is not very good. We have these terms like liberalism and, and conservatism, which, which date back you know, a couple of hundred years and perhaps don't really do describe things very well, particularly as time has moved on. And so what they meant once is not necessarily what, what they mean now and what they mean in one country is not necessarily what they mean in another country. So the difference between, say, classical liberalism and what nowadays people often refer to as liberal is, is quite striking in, 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 in many cases. Um, if you look at it in a Russian context, um, it's even more complicated because um, it's wrapped up to a certain degree with concepts of westernization and anti-westernization as well. So, I mean, in my book on conservatism, I, I describe conservatism as being an ideology of organic change. So that's to say conservatives aren't all necessarily opposed to change of all sorts, but they, they do think change should be gradual and in accordance with um, existing national institutions and culture and traditions and, and values and, and so on. Um, whereas, and that is actually not incompatible with liberalism you can be a conservative liberal you can you can believe in liberal values and liberal institutions but think that um this is something you should be moving towards in in a gradual way and doing so in a manner which is you know 
coherent with existing institutions and values of your country so that you have your own national form of, of, of liberalism, as it were. So liberalism and conservatism are not necessarily direct opposites. You can be a conservative liberal, liberal conservative. Um, liberalism implies adherence to certain um, key values uh, and institutions, which are the institutions which in effect put those values into operation. So the key values would be things such as liberty, you know, would be the primary one. Um, but some people would also cite, you know, equality, for instance, and, and, and some others. But not every liberal agrees with that. Um, and then there's the institutions which put that into effect, which is things such as, you know, representative government, free markets, free trade, the rule of law, and so on. Right. And you could believe in all that and, and, and be a conservative. So you, they're not necessarily opposed to one another because what is conservative in one country might not be conservative in another country because different countries have different institutions. So if you live in a liberal society and you're conservative, well, then you're, um, then you're a liberal <laughs> <laughs> because that's what you're trying to preserve. Sure. Um, now, in, in a Russian context, said this is all muddled up by the, the issue of westernization because these values and institutions associated with liberalism have been associated generally with Western Europe and then more, more generally what we call the West, whatever, whatever that should be. Therefore, to be a liberal has often meant to be a westernizer, that is to say, to take the view that Russia should become like the West, whatever that may be. Um, whereas to be a conservative has then become to say, no, that's taking a foreign model. We should evolve according to, you know, our own culture and values and institutions, um, which therefore would tend to push you into an anti-Westernizing camp. Not, not necessarily. I mean, these are, these are not hard and fast categories. But as a result, the, in a Russian context, the difference between liberalism and, and conservatism has to some degree been a cultural one rather than so much as a political one. And it's about... Um, what sort of culture Russia should be? Should it be westernizing? Should it not? Is history, as it is generally is considered in West, in liberal thought, marching inexorably towards you know the end of history, yeah? or is history um, involve diverging forms, each going in their own direction? So the conservatives would probably take the latter position, and the liberals would take the former. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it is very slippery, uh, the whole definition, because as you were saying, it can be uh, in different contexts and in uh, a different country, the, the definitions can be completely different. But in particular with Russia, you say that there are kind of three areas, and you mentioned this earlier, there's cultural liberalism, political liberalism, and social economic liberalism. Could you kind of parse those out a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so cultural liberalism would be largely concerned with westernization, though not, not entirely, and it's also concerned with how you'd identify the Russian nation. So, so it's to do with, with nation building, um, Russia's place in the world, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and also it has tended to reflect the culture of the sort of, I'd say, professional elites who tend to have made up um, Russian liberals. So Russian liberals have tended to be a very narrow social group it's largely been um, an intellectual movement 
and it has therefore tended to reflect the culture and values of, of that particular um, group of people. Political liberalism would be issues such as establishing the rule of law, uh, representative government and, and, and democracy. Right? And then social economic liberalism, that's when we get into issues of, of what sort of economic system you want to have. Do you want to have a free market? How much of a free market? What degree of re state regulation do you want to have? And of course, across this, these three different categories, which are not entirely separated from, you can have some overlap, you can be a liberal in one and not a liberal in another. So you could be a free market liberal, but be against you know, democracy and representative institutions and be what you might call a liberal authoritarian. <laughs> if you believe that uh, the people are dead set against um, <laughs> economic reform, um, and often liberals have, have attended to this view that, that the people are reactionary, right? And, and therefore, you, you're, you don't want to have democracy because the people are reactionary and, and it's not going to be good if they're in charge. Or you could be a political liberal and, and believe in the rule of law, representative institutions, civil liberties and all that, but at the same time not be particularly economically liberal. You might believe that the state, you wouldn't be a socialist, you don't believe in you know, state control of the means of production, but at the same time, you might believe in, in a very large role of the state in managing the economy, you know, which would therefore take you some, some degree away from classical liberalism in an economic regard. So it, it's quite rare to find someone who's a liberal across the whole spectrum. That makes sense. That makes sense. Interesting. So now liberalism is not doing very well in Russia and, 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 and historically hasn't either. There's been a couple of times where it did come to the forefront but one of the big questions your book tackles is why has liberalism failed to take root in Russia? And it's associated in the popular mind with division and economic and social collapse. Why is liberalism viewed in such a negative manner and why has it failed to take root in Russia? Well, one reason, of course, is that the state has generally not wanted it to take root. So <laughs> it, it, it has been operating in a, uh, you might say, hostile political environment. And that's been historically the case in, in most periods of Russian history. And the state itself has tended to take the lead in, in liberalizing Russian society, but for reasons which are somewhat divorced from liberal theory and more to do with the state deciding that some degree of liberalization is in the interests of the state. But that's not the same as, as wanting to allow you know, the liberals to be in charge. Right? So, so, I mean, it's been, it's been a hostile environment. The second reason, if you look particularly, well, in the imperial period, liberals were seen in many circles as being sort of woolly and weak and, and not sufficiently radical. So, so um, liberalism was a, it was a kind of a dirty word for people who were sort of lily-livered and, and so on and so forth. So, so even liberals didn't call themselves liberals, they tended to call themselves constitutionalists. Right? Um, in the post-Soviet period, the problem has been that liberalism is, is very much associated with the economic and social chaos which took place in, in the 1990s. And one could argue that there were certain achievements of, of that period. But for most Russians, their sort of you know, lived experience was a very negative one. There was um, hyperinflation. There was you know, massive increase in crime and corruption and social disorders such as drunkenness, drug use, declining social services, uh, 
demographic collapse, huge drop in, in life expectancy. Um, and because this was a period of liberal reform in the minds of, you know, many people, therefore, you know, this is evidence that liberals are, are, are really not to, to be trusted with power and they tend to be associated with, with, with chaos um, and so on and, and so forth. Another problem which has bedeviled liberals in, in the past few decades has been their association with Westernism. So as I mentioned in, in, a, in a Russian context, liberalism is associated with this idea that Russia should become like the West. But as tensions, political tensions between Russia and the West have got worse and worse, this has created the impression that liberals are a sort of anti-national force. Now, the liberals would argue that it is not anti-patriotic to resist a government which is leading their country to ruin. That, that, that would be their argument. Um, but it's an argu not an argument which sells to most people. And when you got to events such as you saw the annexation of Crimea, which most liberals opposed, they clearly put themselves in opposition to, to, to the bulk of the people and, and have suffered a, as a consequence. And then another factor is historically has been, as I said, that liberalism has tended to be associated with a, a very narrow strata of, of Russian intellectual society. So in the imperial period, it tended to be professors, lawyers, doctors, that sort of people who, who professed the liberal cause. And um, there were very, very few representatives among you know, workers and peasants, for instance. And they just didn't really speak the language of, of ordinary people. And this, this has kind of remained the case hereafter. And there's a, quite, a, quite a social rift, one might say, between liberals and, and what's generally called ordinary people, which I know is a somewhat arbitrary category. And indeed, there's even something of a suspicion of ordinary people among, among liberals who, who tend to look down on them as, you know, a reactionary, tainted by the Soviet legacy, homo sovieticus, and so on. And, well, you know, if you disparage people, they disparage you back. So, so this, this, has been another, this has been another problem in, in, in recent years, I think. Wow. Well, I mean, you mentioned the ordinary person. The, the, there's a great quote that you have in the book. You say, in a 2019 interview, Russian President Vladimir Putin remarked, quote, the liberal idea has become obsolete. It has come into conflict with the interests of the overwhelming majority of the population. So it doesn't seem like liberalism is going to emerge organically. We talked about organic change anytime soon. You know, even, you know, if we had a crystal ball 25 years, 50 years, do you see within the vicissitudes of history that liberalism could ever come back in a meaningful way? Or is, or is Russia really on a, a conservative track for the foreseeable future? Well, um, I don't like trying to predict because it's so easy yeah. to get it wrong. And something may happen, you know, the war in Ukraine might go horribly wrong or something. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we just we just can't tell. But I think there are some, one might say, um, objective reasons why certain liberal values and institutions do develop as societies develop. And, you know, even today, Russia is, is a more liberal society than it was 100 years ago, right? So it, it is not as if liberalism has made no progress. And even under Putin, has been liberalization in certain regards, for instance, um, in criminal justice system. So Russia 20 years ago had one of the, well, it still has 
was one of the highest prison populations in the world. But it, it was up there with the United States 20 years ago. Since then, the number of people in Russian prisons has been reduced by um, at least half, probably more. Right. So because they've liberalized their criminal justice system, they've decriminalized things, they've reduced sentences and, and so on and so forth. And there's been some liberalization in, in labor legislation in allowing there was Soviets had huge restrictions, a number of jobs women couldn't do, but those have been reduced and stuff like this. So, so you can get liberalization in some sectors, while in other sectors, such as, say, um, you might say in the political sector, where um, there's clearly been a clampdown on, on freedom of expression in, in the past few years. There's been a deliberalization, but that doesn't mean that liberalism, but, li but liberal institutions and ideas have vanished, right? You know, modern Russia is still a more liberal place than, than Brezhnev's Soviet Union, or certainly Stalin's Soviet Union, right? So it's not all backward, it's just, it's not, you might say a liberal movement, has been has been crushed, right? Um, and therefore, progress across the board has become more difficult, and certainly more conservative trends have been introduced in society. Now, will they continue? Well, I think a lot may depend on the international situation. Yeah. If, as seems likely, the war in Ukraine goes on a long time and ends in some sort of stalemate, then sanctions will remain on Russia for the indefinite future. And Russia and the West will be mutually isolated from for decades, right? And in that context, promoting, you know, what what the West is promoting as Western as liberal values may be very difficult, and and and, and the more conservative um, trend will will continue. So I, I think a lot depends on the international situation. We both grew up during the Cold War. Yeah, there's. There was a sense that the, there was certain times, certainly in the 80s, where it felt like this whole thing could spill over. And then there was perestroika, there was there was some detente, there was a, a lessening of the aggressiveness between the two factions. But yeah, this 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 now this war in Ukraine, if and when the war is over, are there any opportunities for a conservative Russia? being not necessarily allies, but are, are, when is this conflict going to end? I mean, it seems like it's been a, like decades long conflict. The first with the Soviet Union, we were allies in World War II, but then, you know, so pretty soon we have the Cold War. Is there any going to be a time where where people are going to be able to be more, um, less aggressive and, and more accepting of one another? Or is, it, is, this, is this just the nature of, of politics and, and nation states? I'm not personally optimistic, okay. um, but I, I don't want—I don't want to say for sure because you know things, stuff can happen. I didn't—I didn't think we'd be where we are today, right? So if you'd asked me five years ago, are we going to be in a situation? I said, I well, I said I'd have said it's possible, but I don't think likely. Um, as far as the war in Ukraine, yeah, and as far as the war in some extent, yeah, it's so potentially. Like I, I, I tend to, I, I, I tend to view that it's. We may be heading for some sort of Korean scenario where you have a ceasefire but no peace, and then the barriers remain in place for a very and the mutual suspicions remain in place for a very 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 long time. And as I said, in in, in within, if that is the international political context, then the prospects for a domestic national liberalism become very difficult because if 
rational liberalism retains its association with Westernism, if there's a position of permanent conflict between Russia and the West, then, then Russian liberalism is simply not going to be in a position to get anywhere um, because it will just be um, suppressed by the state um, as an enemy and, and propagandized by the state as an enemy, and most people will probably accept that. So if if that proves to be the context, and it may not be, but if it does, then Russian liberalism will have to find some some new some new approach. Now, there was a, a nice quote I, I put in the book from a guy called Alexander Sitko, who's an old Soviet journalist. I think he's still alive, and he said Russia's problem is that um, people who value freedom don't value tradition, and people who value tradition don't value freedom, <laughs> and they've never really been able to find some what you might call national liberalism, which at a one at set, one, one point is promoting liberal institutions, but on the hand is deemed acceptable by the state and by the mass of the people as a as a patriotic force, one might even say. Um, and that, that's that's been a problem. Interesting. One last thing we we've been talking about the war in Ukraine. What do you again, we don't want to necessarily predict the future, but What's best case scenario, worst case scenario? Worst case scenario would be um, civil war in Russia. Wow. Um, I don't think that's very likely, but it, that would be a worst case scenario, right? And, and um, you know, there are much more reactionary forces than Putin that one can say. So, so best case scenario i don't i don't want to say because like it depends on how you define best right i mean because like what what say western liberals would say would be the best case scenario and what even many russian liberals would say the best case scenario would be a collapse of the existing state which would then allow for a um a liberal revival but in my own mind i i can't really see how the collapse of the existing state is the void is going to be filled by liberals because they don't have well, there's a parallel you could draw of 1917. So when the Tsar abdicated in, in 1917, initially liberals took power. I mean, they were thrown out fairly rapidly by, by the Bolsheviks, but initially they took power. I mean, they took power because, A, they had a well-established political set of political institutions, such as the, the Cadet Party. They had um, places in, in the Russian parliament and had formed a, an alliance in the Russian parliament with, with other groups. They'd been working on um, supplying the army with, with supplies. So they had a network of contacts with, with the um, Russian generals and high command and were, were deemed acceptable by, by the military um, as people to be in charge. Okay. And, and therefore, they were, when the Tsar advocated, they were able, in, in a position to, to, to take over. Now, these things simply are not the case today, there is no established liberal party of any magnitude whatsoever. There are, I think, two members of the Russian parliament who could possibly be deemed liberal. And they're both um, in one specific platform, one's um, so-called party, party of growth. But, you know, they're very much statist liberals. And there's something called the New People Party, which you might maybe call them very sort of soft liberals. But there's no real established um, liberal institutions. They don't have great networks of support among the people. They don't have any 
they're not regarded as a patriotic force. They, they certainly don't have like networks of contacts with the high command where the military would support them. Um, so how they would take control in this in, in, in that instance, I don't see. It would, it would almost certainly have to be some sort of technocratic government. Now, so therefore, the, 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 the best way forward might be, if you're talking about mercenaries, like technocratic government, which for technocratic reasons decides that some form of liberalization is necessary. And this is historically what has happened. So after the um, Russia's defeat in the Crimean War, the Russian state decided that serfdom had to go because it just, you it couldn't meet the needs of the army for people and it was holding back the economy and, and preventing Russia from industrializing, a whole bunch of reasons that they decided that, you know, things have got to change. And then that led, because you got rid of one institution, you then had to start changing some other institutions. So you, you get a, a liberalization from the top largely led by what are called enlightened bureaucrats, largely for conservative reasons in that they want to, you know, stop something like the Crimean War happening again, and they want to strengthen the state, and for that, there needs a degree of liberalization. Same thing happens in perestroika. You know, Gorbachev is not a classical liberal. He, he, he's a communist. He, he believes in socialism with a human face, and he really believes that you can have communism, you know, but a nice communism. Um, and he's driven by this belief that, you know, things are just not working, right? There's, there's a lot of corruption, the economy's slowing down, it's, it's obviously huge inefficiencies. And he thinks that by liberalizing, you, you'll be able to then galvanize people's energy and therefore strengthen the state, which turns out, of course, to be wrong. But it, it, it's, it's that sort of top-down technocratic um, thinking which tends to drive reform in Russia, historically speaking. Um, rather than liberalization driven by liberals, okay, which has happened probably once, which is in for a couple of years in the early 1990s. Um, so should, you know, well, Putin will die eventually, right? I mean, um, you know, at that point, um, the Russian state may begin to think that, you know, we need to break out of our political isolation. We need to liberalize things because it's holding us back and so on and so forth. Interesting. Interesting. Well, thank you, Paul. It was great talking with you. I really appreciate you taking the time to come onto the podcast. I encourage all listeners to get his new book, Russian Liberalism, as well as if you want to get the full understanding of Russian politics, I would also encourage you to get his earlier book from 2019, if you don't have it, Russian Conservatism. Paul, thank you so much. It was a, it was a pleasure talking with you. My pleasure too. Thank you. That was Paul Robinson, author of the new book, Russian Liberalism, now available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook from Northern Illinois University Press. If you'd like to purchase Paul's new book, use the promo code 09POD to save 30% on our website at cornellpress.cornell.edu. If you live in the UK, use the discount code CSAnnounce and visit the website at combinedacademic.co.uk. Thank you for listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast.